from everyone at Discover the Word and Our Daily Bread Ministries. We hope that you and your family are having a joyous Merry Christmas so far this year. And let me ask you something. Have you ever had a Christmas where all of your expectations of Christmas were met? It was all you'd hoped it would be. I'm not sure that's even possible, that all expectations would have been met. So let me refine my question. Was your greatest expectation met? The thing you most hoped for, did that happen that one Christmas? Well, pull your chair up to the table, as in this Discover the Word podcast, we look at a Christmas promise and the character in the Christmas story whose expectations that first Christmas were blown away when a promise was kept. Discover the Word with us next. And welcome to Discover the Word, the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries. I'm Brian Hedinga, and around the table, ready to get a special Bible study for Christmas underway are your friends and study partners, Mark DeHaan and Elisa Morgan and Bill Crowder. Now, Bill will be leading the conversations called A Christmas Promise as we look at an aspect of the Christmas story recorded only in Luke's account of Jesus' birth and the experience of Simeon. I think you're going to find this an insightful and encouraging time, reflecting on a part of the Christmas story that we don't often get to. I mean, we often stop reading after the angels appear to the shepherds. But a short time later is when Simeon appears, and I think we'll find out why Luke included him over the course of the next hour or so. So if you have a Bible handy, turn over to Luke chapter 2, and let's listen as Mart and Elisa and Bill begin this Christmas study called A Christmas Promise. Bill? Have you ever read Charles Dickens' novel, Great Expectations? Oh, I think I had to do it in junior high or something, yes. No, I have not. I haven't either. I just like the title. I think the title's really cool. <laughs> Say it again. What is Great it? Great Expectations. You know, his okay. books are amazing. I read one in junior high, like I said, but then I read A Tale of Two Cities mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. a adult. Amazing book. Yeah. I mean, as good as The Count of Monte Cristo or Les Miserables. Really good. If any of those are half as good as his A Christmas Carol. Uh-huh then it's got to be great because there's so much imagination in that. I don't know anything about the story of Great Expectations, but I think the title really speaks to some of our biggest frustrations in life. How can expectations feed into frustration? How can they not? Mm, Exactly. (laughs) Nine times out of ten, right? (laughs) I mean, isn't pretty much the definition of frustration Unmet expectations. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. it's the definition of disappointment. <laughs> that too. For sure. Disappointment yeah. is rooted in unmet expectations most mm-hmm. of the time. Does that mean we're pessimists? Would somebody hearing our conversation say, you guys are a bunch of downers? Maybe. I think there's optimism in the fact that you have expectations to begin with. The fact that they don't always get met or maybe seldom get met is realism because we live in a messed up world. Mm. Which leads to what? Despair? Despair, hopelessness, frustration. But if you handle it realistically, you've got an opportunity to turn it around and see life differently. I mean, that's really what walking with God is about. I mean, I'd love to be in charge. I'd make a lot of mistakes. But the reality is when we're in a relationship with God, he welcomes us to let him be in charge, Mm -hmm. which means we're constantly yielding our expectations. And that's really what Christmas is about. Christmas is about an expectation met. Oh, come on. Christmas is about hanging lights, getting a tree, 
No, tell the truth. Spending Christmas is about a lot of getting money. presents. <laughs> <laughs> and at Christmas time, actually, unmet expectations can really, really mess up people's Christmas time. Maybe they're hoping to get a certain thing from someone, or maybe they're hoping to see a certain reaction when they give a special gift to someone that maybe they've really worked hard to get, when what they're expecting doesn't happen. Doesn't change your life forever and make you happy from, you know, yeah. for the rest of the year. And That's so right. often it's relational. You know, the older we get, it's less about what you get or give, and it's so much about family expectations. You know, how are we going to be together as the happy family? And sorry, most of the time it's pretty, again, messy and realistic. Yeah. Last Christmas, we had our kids and grandkids over for a Christmas party on Christmas Eve day. And I was talking to my mom on the phone the next day. She said, well, how did it go? I said, everybody got along. (laughs) (laughs) End of story. (laughs) That's all (laughs) all that matters. Everybody got along. Uh, We want to talk about expectations and contentment. And we want to look at it through the lens of a somewhat ignored character in the Christmas story. And it's a guy named Simeon, who in a sense is himself having some expectations. But in another sense, he kind of represents the expectations of a nation, Hmm. doesn't he? When we look at Christmas, we look at Jesus, the Savior, who's come for to die, as the old Christmas carol said. From a Jewish perspective, what were they looking for? A whole new day. Yeah. The liberation, the occupation smashed by the foot of the conqueror. Hmm. And uh, that was the hope of the great Messiah, wasn't it? The right. great mm-hmm. king of kings who would mm-hmm. come and, right. and uh, deliver them from Gentile occupation. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just the brutish heel of a conqueror. They had lived through hundreds of years of conquerors, hadn't they? Mm -hmm. Being taken into captivity in Babylon and Mm -hmm. away from their homeland Mm -hmm. and forced to live in a foreign place with foreign gods. And that's later on. They're much Mm -hmm. earlier. Yeah, one empire after Mm -hmm. another Mm -hmm. had a way of of, uh, harassing little Israel, this little nation on the crossroads of the world. That's exactly the point. Israel is kind of nowhere, but it's on the way to everywhere yeah. in the Middle East, especially in ancient times. And so first you have the whole problems with Egypt and the captivity mm-hmm. where they were ruled for over 500 years by them. Then they get into a homeland, but it doesn't seem like they're there very long before the Assyrians take the northern kingdom and the Babylonians take the southern kingdom. And then you have the Medo-Persians and they're followed by the Greeks. And now in the days of Simeon in Luke chapter 2, this man we're going to look at this week, it's the Romans. Mm -hmm. So it's not just an event of oppression. It's it's a a whole history history, of it. A lifetime of a people. Yeah. Yeah. And the longing for this deliverer and the heavy heel is not to crush them, but their enemy, right? That's right. To get rid of the enemy. It's this repeated theme of the need for rescue from oppression, whether it's the oppression of slavery in Egypt that prompted the Exodus or the oppression of these conquering nations that just ruled them with a rod of iron. So connecting that to expectation, Bill, do you feel like every generation, every single human had that kind of expectation of deliverance or did it wear out and grow cold? Well, you know what? I think you see flickers of that flame. I think at some point there were times when Yeah, they'd given up hope. You get that impression, don't you, from Daniel's description of the exiles in Babylon. They've kind of settled in and they're at home. And he says, I just read where the prophet said this is only supposed to last 70 years and we're not ready to leave Babylon. Our hearts Mm. have not turned toward our God. 
you know, so yeah, they had lost that. But with each oppression came this fresh hope of a deliverer. So this whole idea of oppression and liberation, the expectation of rescue was deeply rooted in the Jewish DNA. Isn't it true, though, that even though it was deeply rooted, those people, generation after generation, are probably a lot like us. We tend to get lost in the moment. We try to live in Mm -hmm. the moment Mm -hmm. without that sense of bigger hope. Yeah. But then I guess in their holidays, they were reminded of their story, and their story reminded them of the promise. Yeah. And that promise, even today, Jewish people around the world, when they celebrate Passover, they end it by saying, next year in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. So expectation. of rescue, expectation of a deliverer, expectation of a promise kept was a whole national consciousness mm-hmm. for that people. And the guy that we want to look at this week, this, this fellow named Simeon, becomes the microcosm that represents that big idea, if you will. And we're going to see in him not only expectation, but expectation met and the contentment that comes as a result of that. It's hard to imagine, you know, when you live for something so long and don't Mm -hmm. see it fulfilled. You're talking about contentment that comes from fulfillment. Mm -hmm. But are you saying then, Bill, that Simeon, in his expectation, is going to find contentment that lasts? I think he will. He will find a level of contentment that maybe he was even surprised Mm -hmm. by. Okay. And it's very subtle. But let's go to the text. And this is a good way to launch the week because I think maybe the Christmas hymn that would most fit a Jewish mindset in the first century would be the hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and Ransom Captive Israel. Hmm. That was the expectation. That was the hope. So we're going to pick up today in verse 25 of Luke chapter 2 and read all the way through verse 32. Lisa, you want to start us? Now there was a man named Simeon who lived in Jerusalem. He was a righteous man and very devout. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he eagerly expected the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. Before we go any further, you get the expectation there, don't you? right there. I mean, not just expected, eagerly Eagerly. expected. Okay, Mm -hmm. go ahead, Mark. Okay. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple and So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there, and he took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Lord, now I can die in peace, as you promised me. I have seen the Savior you have given to all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Wow. Talk about great expectations, right? Some met, some revealed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think in the events surrounding that first Christmas, and we'll get into how all of this plays out historically and so forth, but what we're talking about when we look at Christmas is expectations met. (laughs) And not just expectations of one man, but one man representing a nation that in a larger sense represents a world, Mm -hmm. a world in need of rescue and a world in need of deliverance. And what we recognize and what we will see in Simeon is a contentment wrapped up in this little phrase in the middle, Lord, now I can die in peace. I don't want anything else. This is all I want. That amazing statement of contentment wrapped up in seeing Jesus, the rescuer, the expectation and the promise of Israel. 
Who here knows the Boy Scout motto? Why would I know that, Bill? <laughs> I was hoping I know this the would Girl be low-hanging fruit for Mark. What is it? Be on prepared? Be prepared. Yeah. Oh, that motto. I was yeah. doing the pledge. Oh, Sorry. yeah. Okay. I don't know the pledge, but the motto yeah. is be prepared. Okay. Which is a great life lesson. It's impossible to keep. I mean, it's impossible to be prepared for everything. But mm. the idea of preparation mm-hmm. and the value of it, that's a good idea, isn't it? It is a good idea. I actually function that way. I would call it anticipation. I'd like to anticipate situations and be ready for them. Is that a controlling thing? Yeah. Actually, Mart, to dig a little bit deeper, it kind of is. I would call it a defense that I learned. Growing up in an unpredictable household, I needed to anticipate what might be around the corner. You know, so yeah, it's a little bit of a control. Okay, so you're also preparing for the unknown. Exactly. In that sense. So it's not a controlling thing. Yeah, you're looking for solid ground in Mm -hmm. the middle of turbulence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, this idea of be prepared, which I think we are all agreeing has value and benefit. There's another sense of being prepared. We talk about it more in the spiritual realm of somebody being prepared for a certain season of spiritual service. Or we talk about someone coming to the Lord and saying, wow, you know, they kind of had a prepared heart. They were ready to hear. What does preparation sound like in that kind of a realm? Makes me think of Jesus going into the wilderness to be tempted Mm -hmm. by the evil one. Mm -hmm. There is a preparation in that. Mm -hmm. I think about Paul in the wilderness himself, this instruction he had with Gamaliel even before that, even Moses, um, mm-hmm. 40 years in the backside of the mm-hmm. desert. That's good. Being prepared. Okay, you're looking into it. See, I got stuck back on those seasons of liturgical anticipation, you know, that we uh, have on the okay. church calendar. Okay. Oh. Where you're preparing, you're looking forward to Advent, you're looking forward to the Passion Week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. that's good too, mm-hmm. because part of, for instance, Lent is a season of preparation yeah. for the celebration of Easter. An advent for the yeah. celebration of Christmas. Yeah, so That's helpful, th- that is yeah. preparation. So within those cultures, certain liturgical things that they do to be prepared. And it seems to me that as we do this journey with our God, that so much of what happens in our lives is him preparing us for other things that are going to happen in our lives. Mm. Even though we don't realize it. We don't know it. But does that ring true to you? It does when you point it out. Mm-hmm. I think in the middle of life, it's difficult to have that sense of anticipation, I think. It's confusing. You would think that he would do certain things and he doesn't. But I guess the way I've phrased it recently in trying to get my head around what you're talking about, Bill, this preparation is that God never wastes anything. Yeah. He always uses yeah. everything. And I've seen that to be true in my mm-hmm. life. Things I never wanted yeah. or things I never expected. I can see God mm-hmm. using those very things. Like, you know, becoming a grandmother at a young age to my daughter when she was a teenager, she has a baby. You know, I didn't expect that. And yeah. God's used that yeah. beautifully. Yeah. But you look back and you see it. Mm-hmm. I guess mm-hmm. in the moment, we've got to yeah. remind ourselves that yeah. we've seen that happen. Yeah. And it's probably going to happen again. Yeah. Right. In some way. Yes. Yeah. I think that's Soren Kierkegaard. Life has to be lived forward, but can only be understood backwards. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when we're going through things, we say, why, Lord? Why, Lord? Why, Lord? And it's only later that we look back and say, Maybe this is part of the why. It might not be the total why, but it might be part of the why. Mm -hmm. So God's constantly working to prepare us for things. Mm -hmm. And I would like to suggest that as we return to the story of Simeon in Luke chapter 2, that this seminal event where he sees the rescuer that he's been anticipating for his life and Israel has been anticipating for centuries, that he's been prepared for this. 
And uh, I want us to go back into Luke chapter 2 and look and see how God has readied his heart. Mm. Let's start off by reading 21 to 24. Okay, now in my translation, it says eight days later. Mm-hmm. So we have to say later than what, right? Later than the birth of Jesus. Okay. Yeah. Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel, even before he was conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Just a few things in the history of this. You were really right to point out that eight days after what Jewish law said a male child would be circumcised the eighth day after birth. And so eight days after Jesus is born, he's circumcised at that moment is when he's given a name. Again, part of the Jewish culture at the time. But then notice verse 22, it says, when the days for their purification were completed, that's actually 33 days later. So, you know, we often think about all Mm -hmm. these events getting mashed together, but after the birth of Jesus, you got a week and a day, and then you got four weeks and four days, almost five weeks. So you're looking at a long period of time that's transpired, and now they come to do another ceremonial thing. All of these things are responses to keeping the law. The circumcision is a part of it. The rite of purification is part of it. Okay, and the time of purification did that Had to do with her. Had to do Mm -hmm. with her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Since the birth. And every family did this. It's not just Mary and Joseph and Jesus. So there are lots of families with babies coming in and out of the temple doing the two dove things. And it's really interesting to think, too, the fact that you have the big sacrifice times, Passover, Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. But you had sacrifices going on every day because people were coming all the time for this. Hmm. Some scholars believe that because it mentions the turtle doves and pigeons, mm-hmm. that this probably tells us that Mary and Joseph were very poor. Hmm. All this sets the way. And as they're coming in to make this sacrifice to set Jesus apart, which is an interesting idea in thinking about who he is, mm-hmm. you're going to consecrate him. Yes, we are. And it's at that moment that we're introduced to Simeon. So remind us again, just of verses 25 through 26. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was a righteous and devout man and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him, and it revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Now, as you hear that, how has he been prepared for this moment when he's going to see Jesus for the first time. Well, he seems to have a pretty strong relationship here. He's righteous and devout. The Holy Mm -hmm. Spirit is on him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So he'd received a prophecy. Yeah, and we'll talk more about the prophecy tomorrow because that's real interesting all by itself. Because there's a promise here that I think is so interesting. But even without that, this is unusual for him to be described as having the Holy Spirit upon him. Mm -hmm. He's a man living before the cross, before the resurrection, before Pentecost. And he's not a priest. No. Or he's just a regular guy. guy. Mm -hmm. He's a regular guy. And usually, as I recall, the Holy Spirit came upon either individuals in battle, Mm -hmm. came upon prophets, men or women who were speaking on behalf of God. There was some, it was like there was some assignment, something that would be done in behalf of God or in behalf Mm -hmm. of the people that the Holy Spirit would come upon them, right? 
which sounds a whole lot like preparation. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The Holy Spirit is preparing him for this moment. He came upon John the Baptist, and he came upon Mary, and he came upon, in terms of the angels too, I mean, there was the Holy Spirit involved in their Mm -hmm. preparation. And why do you connect that to preparation? Well, because obviously if the Holy Spirit hasn't prepared him for what's coming, he doesn't know to look for this. He doesn't know to anticipate this. He doesn't know to be aware of this. And I think also as we read some of those descriptors of him that Elisa read, righteous, meaning in right relationship with God, devout, meaning having a deep sense of spiritual devotion, and anticipation, looking forward to rescue. Expectation. Uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. So all of these things, I think, flow out of what the Holy Spirit has been doing. And does he know to look for a baby? See, we're not told that he is expecting a baby. I mean, that's a good conversation that we can have as we look at the promise tomorrow, because I think that's really an important thing. What would he be looking for? Or is he waiting for the Holy Spirit to trigger in his heart? Mm -hmm. This is the moment. Mm -hmm. This is the person. Respond. But whatever it was he was anticipating or expecting to see, he was expecting to see something because he had been prepared for this moment by God. Mm. He was not only prepared for this moment for his own sake, but also for Mary and Joseph's sake. Mm. A lot of our preparation is for the benefit of others, and he is going to give them information that they don't have yet, and information that's not always easy. But part of his preparation is not just so that he can have this wonderful moment, but also so that he can be part of the preparation of Mary and Joseph as they go forward. Yeah, the future is always so much of a mystery, but uh, we can move forward with confidence because of how God has been faithful in the past to keep his promises, as Bill mentioned today. We have to live our lives going forward, but most often we can only understand things looking back. And God's unfailing track record should prepare us to trust him for what's ahead of us. Because how many kept promises does it take for someone to gain your trust? How many broken promises does it take for someone to lose your trust? Well, this episode of the Discover the Word podcast called A Christmas Promise will continue in a moment. Thanks for listening to the Discover the Word podcast. And thanks for remembering that Discover the Word is a nonprofit ministry. It is gifts from listeners like you that have helped Discover the Word and Our Daily Bread Ministries bring the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible to people all around the world for well over 80 years now. And uh, December is a crucial time as we close the books on 2021 and prepare for a new year of ministry. Maybe you've been joining us for these discussions throughout the year, and maybe you've read Our Daily Bread for your daily devotions, but you've never taken the opportunity to support us financially in our mission. Well, I hope you'll prayerfully consider giving a special year-end gift this year. You can support Discover the Word by giving online at discovertheword.org. There's a teal donate button up on the top right of our homepage there at discovertheword.org. And now back to this special Christmas study called A Christmas Promise, Simeon's Story. How do you feel when somebody breaks a promise to you? 
Not good. Betrayed. Yeah, it kind of depends on how big the promise is, how important yeah. the promise is. Hmm. I mean, it can be a relational promise of faithfulness, you know, where there's just hmm. huge amounts invested in the other person. Mm -hmm. Hmm. It can be a work relationship. It can be a marital relationship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you're a child, it could be a parent promising you that... They'll be at your game. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Your recital. Yeah. It still hurts, though. Sure. Even if it's small. But you're right. Some promises are absolutely devastating when they're broken. Now, let me turn it to a little more positive. How do you feel when somebody keeps a promise to you? Depends on what the promise is. <laughs> Here you go. Here you, go. <laughs> you know, I usually feel a little surprised. Really? Because I guess I've had enough promises broken over the years that I've kind of become a little bit jaded. I'm a lot less jaded when I break a promise to somebody else. But when somebody <laughs> makes a promise to me and breaks it, I'm kind of like, yeah, yeah what'd you expect? And when it comes out of, you know, maybe some time and you've forgotten about it and all mm -hmm. of a sudden mm -hmm. yeah. they show up. They show say, up. Remember they I said I would. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that, Mart, is a perfect setup to where we want to go today because we've been talking all week about this character, Simeon, who's part of the, maybe we should call it the extended Christmas story <laughs> because we're now... 41 days after the birth of Jesus in the part of Luke chapter 2 that we're considering this week. But we're going to talk about Simeon today in the context of someone who received a promise. And we don't know how much time elapsed between the time the promise was given and the time that that promise was kept. But he was made a promise by God. Mm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and God kept that promise. And so you're saying there was a personal promise to Simeon? Or yeah. are you thinking in terms of the age-old promise to Israel that God would provide a deliverer? I think there's a personal promise that nests into the age-old promise. Okay. There had been an age-old promise that had been given over the centuries. Where's the first time the promise is given? Yeah, right in the garden. Right in the garden of our first parents' failure. There will be a rescuer. He will crush the serpent's head. Yeah, the seed of the woman. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the seed of the woman. Mm -hmm. So you have all of that background, but you also have the personal promise to this one man. So let's go back and once again today, read verses 25 and 26 of Luke chapter 2. Elisa, you want to start us? You bet. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, that's the bigger promise, mm -hmm. and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Hmm. Okay, so that's the promise you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, that's the specific promise that nests into the age-old promise. They're the same promise, it's just it was given to him on a much more personal level. Now, we were having a conversation off mic before we got into this about the name Simeon. Mm. And our buddy Brian looked it up for us. Mm -hmm. And what did Brian tell us Simeon means? It means obedient. It means listening. Listening. It's actually a form of the Hebrew word what, Mart? Shema. Shema, which means to hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. So Simeon, the one who hears, hears a promise from the Holy Spirit that he will not die until he has seen the Christ, mm. the Messiah. And we don't know whether he actually heard a whisper or heard a voice or somehow sensed it in his heart, right, that he recognized mm. from God. But it's something from the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I mean, that's the source. And what's interesting, too, we've been chewing on this, who is Simeon? We know what his name means now. I've traditionally thought he was an old dude. And mm. you know what? 
the passage doesn't That's say right. that. It just says that he will not die before he sees mm-hmm. the Lord's Christ. Maybe this is a purpose yeah. of his life rather than an age mm. of his life. Doesn't he at one point though say, now let me die? Yeah. Okay, finally, it's here. I can go. Or if it's a sense of, what could be better than this? Yeah. What could be more meaningful than this? That doesn't sound like the voice of a young person, though. We don't know. But it's an interesting thing to think about, yeah. whichever it is. But it is about the fulfillment of a promise. Yeah. yeah. And I think this is one of those many, many times in the texts that we study in the scriptures mm-hmm. where the right answer is the text doesn't tell us. Yeah. Let's just remember that, yeah, there are a lot of possibilities here. Mm-hmm. But I like where you're going with the idea of purpose purpose found in his name, the one who's going to listen, and then he hears, whether it's with his ears or with his heart, this revealing from the Holy Spirit. Whether he's young or old, yeah, there has to be something, a sense of complete fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let me point out another place in the Bible where we have a similar kind of thing where a person's purpose wrapped up in their name had to do with their larger day and their larger time. In Genesis 5, verse 21, and then verse 25, just those two verses, who wants to start? Okay, I've got it here in 21. When Enoch was 65 years old, he became the father of Methuselah. Okay, now verse 25, Elisa? Sure, when Methuselah had lived 187 years, he became the father of Lamech. And then I'll pick it up. And Lamech lived 182 years and became the father of a son that he named Noah. So Methuselah is Noah's grandfather, okay? Methuselah, according to the Bible, and his name has become almost proverbial, lived longer than anybody in the Bible. He lived 969 years. 969 years is a long time. But there's a connection to why he lived so long. Because the name Methuselah means it will be sent. And how that was interpreted was, when he dies, it will be sent, pointing directly to the flood of Noah. Hmm. If that's being interpreted properly, his purpose in life was to be a beacon pointing forward to something else. In this case, the warning of a flood. Interesting. What I would suggest Mm -hmm. is that Simeon, as a purpose in life, becomes a beacon pointing forward Hmm. to a promise that was given to the nation, And a promise that was given to him personally, Mm -hmm. that in your lifetime, Messiah will come. Simeon gives us a marker that when he dies, somewhere on the earth, Messiah will be alive. (laughs) I wonder if we should read that second part of what Simeon says to God. Verse 28, Simeon took Jesus in his arms and praised God. This is the baby Jesus Mm -hmm. saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised You now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Think about that. The promise has come in the person of Jesus. Simeon has heard Mm -hmm. somehow a promise that his life will somehow be connected to the inauguration of the life of Messiah. And that hope, that promise, gets fulfilled in this baby Jesus, the one who would ultimately rescue all of us, not just Israel, but the nations as well. A God who keeps his promises. What if somebody says, okay, I hear what you're saying. Why is that important to us? Mm. I mean, why spend time talking Mm. about this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's a fair question. What would you say? I'm hearing, especially just having read these words of Simeon's contentment and his delight at God's promise completion, I'm hearing that sometimes you know, we struggle with, does God keep promises? Do people keep promises? And we get tied up in that and miss the purpose. And I think we see in Simeon a really powerful example of a man who had heard a promise from God, and he had made that promise from God his very life purpose. And so when God delivered that promise, he felt a sense of completion or contentment that was unsurpassed. And I wonder if I could trust God the same way for the ways he's promised Mm. to provide for me. We almost have to force those thoughts to the surface, don't Mm -hmm. we? Because we all get caught up in life Mm. and sort of forget that there are promises that God has made to us that a day is coming when God's love is going to be shown to us in a way that if we really got it, we could say either now I'm going to live forever or Oh, now I can die in peace, knowing, oh God, that you love us that much. And if we're watching for it, believing it, I wonder if the experience of receiving it is even that much better. Yeah, which well, that's kind of your point, isn't it? Yeah, because God keeps his promises. It may take centuries, like it did in Methuselah's day. Mm -hmm. It may be in the space of one life, as in Simeon's day. Mm -hmm. But we can have confidence in this. God will keep his promises because he's faithful. Where do you find satisfaction in life? In a lot of different places. It all depends on the day. It depends on the season. What about you? You know, I find satisfaction in a lot of things. One of the things that really is going to seem silly, although it'll be totally anticipated by Elise, I'm sure, is I find a lot of satisfaction in hitting a really good golf shot. What? <laughs> do you ever do that? I see you're stunned. <laughs> yeah, but then you got to hit the next one. Yeah, yeah I know. I know. Yeah. And I'm usually not quite as satisfied with That's that. That's right. One, but mm. It's short-lived. But that mm. one moment, that one shining moment. <laughs> is that all you're talking about then? Just a moment? Yeah. A moment of, mm. okay, that's pretty good. You know? I think I feel satisfied when I finish a project. Mm. Maybe even certain family situations, not lots and lots of them, but, you know, when I really embrace what is before me, you know, Mm -hmm. like I'm having my grandkids over and they're running around. That's awesome. Just Mm -hmm. a small moment like that, too, can also be Mm -hmm. satisfying. It's kind of a funny question, I think. Yeah, it is, because you could turn it a whole nother way, Mark. I could say, you know, I find satisfaction in a really good meal. That doesn't mean I'm never going to get hungry again Mm -hmm. or ever going to want to eat again. But in that moment, it's kind of like... Wow, that was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was really good. I mean, it can be so simple. It can be like, if you're really thirsty, a good glass of water is satisfying. On the other hand, if you're a bit perfectionistic, you know, then what can you do that really gives you satisfaction? Yeah. I mean, in terms of effort. Because there's always something else, something you do yeah. better. Yeah, actually, chewing on this a little bit, I don't think I really ever use that word. Really? I'm satisfied. I don't think that's the one I would pick. So this is... Uh, that's the trouble I'm having mm-hmm. with it because okay. it mm-hmm. just seems like it can go everywhere or nowhere. Uh-huh. They used to have a series of commercials on TV for a candy bar that said Snickers really satisfies. And they even actually on the back of the wrapper put the word satisfaction. Yeah. Because they were claiming that it would really satisfy your hunger. And can you have one and be satisfied? I don't know. I suppose it's possible. Mm-hmm. Depends on what you're hungry for in that moment, I suppose. Is there a kind of element of just settling in satisfaction, 
like it just satisfies the need instead of really meets it. I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling because where is this going? I mean, why? Who cares? Who cares? <laughs> Obviously, you two don't. So, I mean, what are we going to do now for the next 10 minutes? Oh, well, no. it can go so deep or it can be so nothing. Right? Yeah, I know what you're saying. And what I would like to suggest is that any of these little moments of momentary satisfaction, whether it's after a good meal or a nice family experience or hitting a good golf shot or whatever it might be, those are almost like glimpses of what we were made for. I think we were made to know that kind of satisfaction, which to use a different word that we used earlier in the week, contentment. To know that kind of contentment. To say, you know what? I can't imagine anything more or better. This is great. So why were we made for that? Well, I think because we were made in the image of a God who does all things well. I think as his image bearers, we have within us this longing for the kind of completeness and completion and satisfaction in that. I mean, when God created the heavens of the earth every day at the end of the creation, he said, it's good. It's good. And then he said at the end, this is very good. You sense the satisfaction. Okay. Your whole point of this then, it's just another way of saying we were made for what is good. Yeah. And to experience that and to sense the fullness of that and the goodness of it. Yeah. That that makes sense to me. I mean, that resonates. I hear a kind of a completion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm in. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Elisa's a holdout. But when you read the Genesis account, Mm -hmm. God said, that is good. Mm -hmm. To me, that resonates not only with the biblical, the creation story, but with life. Yeah. Yeah. And say, if we're made for something good, Mm. then we can look beyond the torment and the struggle of what we're experiencing. Mm -hmm. And I think to take that directly back into the story in Luke chapter 2 we've been looking at this week, we're looking at this man, Simeon, the one who hears, the one who... His name means that. His name means to hear, and the one whose life has become this forecasting that before he dies, Messiah is going to come. Because he was promised that. Because he was Mm -hmm. promised Mm -hmm. that. And we want to see now how that felt, because that really comes down to this sense of it's been worth the wait. I mean, there's a sense, too, you know, when you're working on a long project and you work and you work and you work and you get it done and you say, wow, that was worth it. Mm. That was worth it. You know, this is good. Mm -hmm. Let's start in verse 25 and read all the way through verse 32 and pick up the story again. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Lord, now I can die in peace as you promised me. I have seen the Savior you have given to all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. What a great statement. Now, first of all, before we look at Simeon, let's think about Mary and Joseph. Jesus is now how many days old? Oh, he's like six weeks old or so. Yeah, 41 Mm -hmm. days old, Mm -hmm. eight days from circumcision, then 33 days to the rites of purification. So he's almost six weeks old. Mm -hmm. So they come into the temple to do this rite of purification, which had to do with Mary being cleansed from the process of childbirth. And that was a spiritual ceremonial thing, right? Yeah, it was. 
and then dedicating or consecrating the child as the firstborn to God, which is fascinating mm-hmm. all by itself. Mm-hmm. So you're coming in to do this rite of dedication and ceremony, and all of a sudden this guy grabs the baby. He's not a priest. He's no. not a temple attendant. He's just a guy. Mm-hmm. And that so, sounds like he was accosting <laughs> them. And, but he could have said, Mother, can I take your child? In but mind? still, I'd have. be like, no, I don't know you. <laughs> you don't yeah. do that. You don't no. grab somebody else's baby. No, but regardless, I think Mary and Joseph had to have been a little stunned, mm. right? Not only by what he does by taking the child, however gently he may have accomplished that, uh, <laughs> but also by the things that he says, because it says in verse 33 that they were amazed at what he said. Yeah. So this is a shocking moment for them. But for him, do you think he might have been surprised? Well, the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Christ. Which is a mystery, right? We don't know how that happened, and we don't know what he was experiencing here. Could he have reasonably been expecting a baby? Could have. I mean, Isaiah, the prophet, said he spoke mysteriously of unto us a child is born, and, you know, a son is given, the government yeah. will be upon his shoulders. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. And that's a messianic yeah. mm-hmm. anticipation. Mm-hmm. So suppose he might have been actually told that by the Holy Spirit. We don't know. Right. But whatever it was he was expecting, mm-hmm. what he saw was enough. Mm-hmm. And that's the moment of satisfaction. And we see it again in those opening words that he makes in verse 29. Read 29 and 30 again, would you? Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. What's your say, Mark? I says, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I've seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all the people. Yeah, I think that's the more traditional understanding of it. Now let your servant die in peace. Mm -hmm. His life has been moving toward this moment. And now the moment's here. And it's like he says, man, that was worth it. Mm. (laughs) Even though he can't see all that's going to happen. That's exactly right. And I like your word satisfaction, but I think we got stuck on it. Maybe the word completion is even Mm -hmm. more powerful for me. (laughs) And I think maybe this is what's happening for Simeon, is a real completion and a contentment that comes with it. Let me throw another word at you Mm -hmm. as we kind of wind down for today. The word presence. Mm. There's something about him being in the presence. Mm. Mm of the fulfilled promise, not just of his life, but of the ages. It's huge. That is so thrilling. And I think about that as someone who doesn't hold the baby Jesus in my hands, but someone who lives in that presence every Mm. day. And you know what? I see Simeon with the baby Jesus being content, satisfied, complete. Mm -hmm. That same presence that he celebrated is the presence that carries us through every day. Not just the celebration days like this, but every day, all the time. The dark moments, the hard moments. We can be content with this. He will never leave us or forsake us. And in that, we can be satisfied. That promise from God is one that we can count on too. And uh, Bill wanted me to make sure I mentioned one of the places that promise from God is stated. It's in Hebrews chapter 13 at the end of verse 5. God has said, I will never fail you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And remember, God keeps his promises. 
Well, encouraging time there with Bill Crowder and Elisa Morgan and Marty Hahn as part of our series on Simeon's part in the Christmas story, A Christmas Promise. Well, we will wrap up this study in just a moment, but first, this preview about what the group is planning for next week's study, another one for Christmas. Do you have a favorite telling of the Christmas story from the scriptures? I mean, I'd probably stick with the classic Luke 2 telling. But you know, there's something about Isaiah's prophecy. Mm-hmm. That is such a beautiful description mm-hmm. of the nature of the Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I go to Luke as well. I was going to say, especially when you pair Isaiah with Handel's Messiah. I love that. I kind of lean toward Matthew just because I think Joseph is a fascinating mm-hmm. guy. What I want us to do this week is look at neither one of them. Okay. Um, (laughs) I want us to look at Galatians chapter 4, and it's Paul's Christmas story. Can I just start by saying I think this is the first time I've heard anyone say that there is a Christmas story in Galatians. So I'm skeptical that it's even there, Bill. Good, good. (laughs) Keep that skepticism going. That'll be good. And so are you skeptical too? Well, bring that with you to the next Discover the Word podcast called Paul's Christmas Story with Bill Crowder, Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, and Daniel Ryan Day. And now, the conclusion of Simeon's story and a Christmas promise. Uh, if you go to the doctor and the doctor says, I've got good news and bad news, which do you want first, the bad news <laughs> or the good news? <laughs> Oh, I think I just want the good news. <laughs> I'm not sure I want the bad news. At all, mm-hmm. ever. That's interesting. <laughs> I think maybe I'd want the bad news first, knowing that there is good news. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of lean toward that, too. I mean, if I'm not feeling good and I take some medicine and it doesn't get any better, I just want to know what it is. Even if what it is isn't good, I still want to know. Because at least now I know Mm -hmm. I can start to do something or get proper treatment or whatever it might be. So I kind of lean toward, okay, let's get the bad news out of the way. And then the good news will sound even better, hopefully. And sometimes, and it doesn't have to be this way, but sometimes good news for one person is bad news for another Mm -hmm. person, isn't it? Right. When would it be a case of something like that? Oh, if you're winning an award, somebody else is losing. Or you're winning a game, somebody else is not winning the game. That kind of thing. Every contest, right? Mm -hmm. A winner and a loser. If you get the promotion, that means somebody else didn't Mm -hmm. get the promotion. As we come to the conclusion of our look at this man, Simeon, this week, we've seen a lot of fascinating things about him and what God did in him and through him and for him. And for Simeon, I think we can safely say there's been a lot of good news. Would you agree with that? Yes, very fulfilling, completing promises in his life. Yeah, he's seen with his own eyes this child Mm -hmm. that he now knows was promised. The Spirit of God gave him the sense of anticipation that before Mm -hmm. he died, this long-awaited Messiah, he would see it. Yeah, and what's interesting is those words that he said— are a prayer. Now, we know they're a prayer when we stop and think about it, but when we normally read it, we don't necessarily think of it as a prayer. But it's a prayer. Lord, let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your rescuer, your deliverer, which you prepared in the presence of all people, a light of the revelation to the Gentiles, the glory. I mean, there's so much good news in there. And he's celebrating that in prayer, right? There's good news, good news, good news, which fits because he's talking about Jesus 
And Jesus is the embodiment of what? Good news. Yes. I mean, that's what the gospel is, is good news. Now, let's read 33 through 35 and get the bad news. The child's father and mother marveled or were amazed at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your very soul. Hmm. That doesn't sound like good news, does it? Well, Uh, part of it does. Verse 33, and this is making me think about maybe the good news prepared them for the bad news. The child's father and mother were amazed at what was said mm -hmm. about him. And I think to myself, nobody else had said this about Jesus except the angel to each of them. I mean, how fulfilling it must have been. So you're saying it's confirming. Yeah. Six weeks, you know, after... Six weeks after nine months. After nine months. Six weeks after he's born. Yes, nine months and six weeks after the promise came to them. I mean, what great validation. That'd be really powerful. I agree that it had to have been very confirming to them. And also, they weren't the only ones Mm -hmm. responsible for this or the custodians of this. But then he gives the bad news. And what I think is so striking is the opening part of verse 34... And Simeon blessed them. Now, does what follows sound like a blessing? No, it doesn't. Mm -mm. Okay, first of all, what does the word bless mean? Uh, It's the Greek word to eulogize or to speak well of. So somehow we have to see how this bad news can fall under that characterization, Is it all bad? I mean, certainly the sword piercing your own soul feels bad. And we can talk about that. But, you know, he says, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel. Okay, and mine says, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. Now, yours kind of puts them together, though, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The rise and fall. The rise and fall. The fall and rising. Yeah. Yeah. And to be a sign that will be spoken against, but then so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. It's like this, again, completion, as we talked Mm -hmm. about the other day. It's this completion of God's purposes. It's the completion of God's redemptive plan. That's a good thing. What ended up being bad news for Mary ended up being great news for the world. Mm. Because what is the moment in which a sword's going to pierce her heart. It's the cross when a soldier actually takes a spear after Jesus' death and pierces him. But it's also the cross itself piercing us all. Okay, so at this point, though, it has to be a mystery. Yeah, I agree 100%. We see that in the Christmas pageants every year, that Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Mm -hmm. I wonder if she didn't do the same thing with Simeon's words, that in the next 30-plus years... As she would look at this little boy, and then this teenager, and then this young man, and then this adult, and then this rabbi Mm -hmm. that she had delivered. Mm. In this moment, she can't anticipate all of this. But just like she heard the celebration from the shepherds, she now hears, yeah, but. Mm. Yeah, but. And the bad news for her, that a sword's going to pierce her to her very soul, becomes great news to the world. Because in that event, he died for our sins according to the scriptures. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And for those who oppose him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Falling and rising. This is really dense, isn't it? I mean, in some ways, Mm -hmm. because Simeon is indicated to them, God is going to use them for Mm -hmm. good. And yet, even in using them for good and the good of the world, 
many are going to suffer, and Mary herself, her heart's going to yeah. be broken. Yeah. But it's going to be, as you indicated, for this mm-hmm. wonderful purpose of mm-hmm. deliverance. Yeah. And keep in mind also that part of the bad news here is for Jesus himself. Because in my text, it says he's a sign that will be opposed. Mm-hmm. And we see that, don't we? From the earliest days of his public ministry, there's this swelling tide of opposition that ultimately culminates in the event that pierces Mary's heart. Mm -hmm. So if you look at, there's four pieces to this. There's the rise of some, there's the fall of some, there's the opposition of Jesus, and then there's the sword piercing Mm -hmm. Mary. So Mm -hmm. in this collective statement, 75% of it's bad news. Yeah, feels that way, doesn't it? Which will end up being good news. Which will end up being Mm -hmm. good news. And that takes us all the way back to where we started at the beginning of the week. Because at the beginning of the week, we started talking about a centuries-old promise that was being anticipated. Mm. But sometimes good news comes at a cost. Mm. I remember this little Christmas poem, and it said, They all were looking for a king to lift them up and raise them high. Mm. Thou camest a little baby thing that made a young girl cry. Mm. (laughs) I mean, there's so much mixed emotions Mm. in there, Mm -hmm. aren't there? Rising and falling, opposition and victory a sword piercing a heart, and hearts set free Mm. for eternity. This is the Christmas story, and the words of Simeon here make no sense unless you draw a straight line from the manger to the cross Mm -hmm. Mm. and the rescue (laughs) and that ancient promise given in the garden that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. Rescue Mm. requires a sword. (laughs) So the good news of the gospel, which is exactly what it is, probes our lives like a sword Mm. (laughs) into our bad news and converts it Mm. to the ultimate good. It's hard to live that way. It's hard to Mm. understand that. It hurts at Mm. times. Mm -hmm. And yet when we trust the purpose of the good news, that's where we have our hope. Mm -hmm. Uh, We can all relate to it because the bad is with us. The bad is in us. Mm -hmm. The pain the sorrow, the sense of loss. But to see what Simeon did, to see that what God does is good. Mm. Think back to a prophecy that you quoted a couple of days ago on the program, Mark. Isaiah 9, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. There's a gap between those two events, yeah. aren't there? Yeah. yeah. We're living in the middle of a gap filled mm-hmm. with bad news, mm-hmm. but with the promise mm-hmm. that one day, Justice will come because Christ will come. The same Jesus that he celebrated out of the anticipation of years of promise, we also anticipate, don't we? And we long for the day when he comes and takes away all the bad news. (laughs) And the good news reigns. Yeah, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Mighty God, Everlasting Prince of Peace. A son a child, the promised Redeemer, Jesus. A Christmas promise. Some great conversations for the Christmas season here on Discover the Word. And we hope in the story of Simeon, you found encouragement that you can trust God because God does keep his promises. You've been listening to Discover the Word with your friends Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, and Bill Crowder. 
Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. I'd encourage you to explore other studies with the group on our discovertheword.org website. Thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedinga. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.